You're listening to the I Love You Keep Going podcast with George Haas. For more information, please visit our website at www.metagroup.org. That's www.metagroup.org. So welcome, everybody. This is I Love You Keep Going. It is March 3rd, 2022. It's 7.35 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And we had been talking about the Enlightenment track for quite a bit. And uh, we're sort of shifting over to the preliminary practices and the attachment material that I like to teach uh, as a prerequisite. And I thought maybe we would talk a little bit about mentalizing tonight. Or metacognition sometimes is what people call it. The ability to track your own uh, experience, your own thoughts. Um, and to understand how you've arrived at the conceptual reality that you've created. Uh, we talk about um, mindfulness of inside, mindfulness of outside, mindfulness of inside and outside from the Satipatthana Sutta, this ability to track your own experience and to track the experience of others, and then to track the interaction between uh, what you put out and what uh, is uh, the understood by that and then the response uh, that the other person has and how you interpret that response. And so the idea is that you're able to track all of that in real time as it's unfolding. In the internal experience, of course, you're tracking the way that you take the raw data it, uh, that comes in through the, the sense gates uh, and what it, how you interpret that, what you interpret that to mean. And then the, 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 the responses that it leads you to, and then how you understand how uh, other people form those experiences and present them, and how you interpret them. Uh, we know uh, from attachment research that uh, mentalizing is on a, is on a, a sort of, um, the word I'm looking for, a range or a spectrum. Some people mentalize really well, other people don't mentalize so well. And we know that this comes largely from the experiences you had in childhood. Um, did you have attentive enough caregivers who engaged with you and taught you how to mentalize, or did you not have that? One of the things about this is that the people that did have that and do mentalize well um, experience things in uh, a different way than people who can't do that. They do understand what what's happening, why they're interpreting in the way they're interpreting, and they have a sense of what it is that they would like to get out of it, out of the interaction, and then they uh, tailor the, the way that they express themselves in such a way that it's further it's furthering of the goals that they have in mind. Even if it's largely unconscious, um, the process of that happens for them and they, they can make sense of the world in a, in a way that people who don't mentalize as well don't. But on a scale of one to nine, uh, uh, secure people tend to mentalize six or higher, dismissing people tend to mentalize at in the four to five range, uh, preoccupied people in the three to four range, and disorganized people less than three. Um, 
and it's exponential. So somebody who mentalizes at a two is mentalizing at twice the level of a one, at a three, at four times the level, at a four, 16 times the level. So that's quite a bit of a difference. Um, uh, I should probably mention uh, the different detachment strategies that I'm referring to. Secure people grow up with the expectation uh, that they're capable of getting their needs and that the world is uh, willing to meet their needs. So that, uh, in some sense, that's a view. Dismissing people see themselves as uh, uh, fantastic and they see uh, the rest of the world as inferior to that, uh, which allows them to engage in transactional relationships rather than collaborative relationships. They don't think that they need to engage in collaborative relationships because, uh, frankly, nobody's up to it. If they were, they would be willing to do that, but since they're not, they don't. Um, preoccupied people think that they're incapable, but they think everybody else is capable. So if they could just get other people to take care of them, they would be all right. And disorganized people uh, see themselves as really incapable, but they also see the world as dangerous and threatening. And so that it's unsafe for them to attempt to get their needs met. If you could mentalize at a good enough clip to take in all of the data and understand how you're formulating it and how you're uh, responding to the conditions of the present moment, uh, and then also be able to take in and interpret how the other person is responding. You might not be able to hold a view that you're incapable and the world is a dangerous place that you should avoid because you could see uh, a different way of understanding what was happening. If you uh, could mentalize better, you wouldn't necessarily see yourself as helpless and incapable, and that everybody else would be able to take care of you, you could just convince them. You would see that you could take care of yourself and do that instead. Uh, if you were able to mentalize well enough, you would see the advantage of having a collaborative relationship, which was actually intimate to one that was purely transactional. If you didn't have the conditioning of early childhood that would have developed this range of mentalizing, then the idea is that you need to do it now. And that's one of the reasons why I think uh, particularly Vipassana meditation is so useful for this, because it really, uh, in some sense, could be called a process of mentalizing. Uh, in the Buddhist um, frame, uh, we have the uh, capacity to sense things. So we have the five senses that we're familiar with in the West, touching, seeing, hearing, tasting, smelling. And then we also have mind. Mind um, operates um, in a couple of ways. Uh, but in understanding this uh, formulation of how we create experience, we have the capacity to sense, we have the object that can be sensed, and when there's contact, a consciousness of that sensing experience arises. But we don't have a, a, a mind or really even the capacity to just do a complete survey of everything that's in front of us. 
so how do we choose which objects to focus on, which pieces of the of the experience around us? And that, that is the uh, one of the activities of mind. It directs us toward uh, objects that are of interest to us. So then that's pointing to this understanding that we have hierarchies of interest that we focus on. Um, one of the things about understanding the nature of the human condition, which you'll find uh, pretty quickly as you meditate, is that the selfing experience isn't actually the thing that's doing all of this. The experience of your conditioning is largely unconscious. And the self experience really uh, uh, understands the conclusion of the process, but is not involved in creating the experience of it. I mean, or making the decisions about what to do. Um, I like to use a metaphor of the printer as the self-experience and the unconscious um, 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 experience as the, the, the CPU and the software that process. They take in the data, they formulate the response, and then as the response is about to be engaged, uh, it arises uh, as an awareness in the self-experience. So you know what you're about to do, but you haven't uh, been privy to all of the decision-making that went into understanding what you were going to do, not making sense. So what we do is reverse engineer that in some sense from the, the self-experience. This is what I am about to do. Is this a good idea? Should I allow it to unfold or should I prevent it? from happening and then maybe reflect back on what it was that uh, I responded to that caused me to formulate the intention and action I'm about to take and see if there's some adjustment that might need to be made, some understanding uh, of what actually is happening. Do you notice a big sense of self, I like to call it big angry self arising because you feel affronted by something that's happened, but if you can prevent yourself from responding from that angry place, uh, examining exactly what it is that's, that's causing the umbrage in the moment and understanding whether it's related to the conditions of the present moment or it's the past conditioning. I feel slighted. I, my sense of self feels slighted, but it's slighted in a way that I, I have felt that way before. So it has an intensity of emotion that might not be um, uh, commiserate with what's actually happening in the present moment. So the idea with mentalizing or metacognition is to be able to track that fast enough that you can uh, form a skillful intention and action uh, and that you don't get caught up in uh, a belief that conceptual reality is actually what's happening. Um, I think that that's uh, really the source of this sense of um, delusion, uh, we would call it in Buddhism. You lose track of the data that's coming in. You lose track of the, the conditioned response to that data and how you formulate conceptual reality. You believe that conceptual reality is actually uh, an accurate portrait of what's happening, a complete portrait of what's happening, and that your actions 
uh, in response to that are, are justified. That would be what we call delusion, Buddhism. And what we really want to be doing is constantly comparing the ultimate reality experience with what we make it into. That's the Pali word for that is Sajjampanati, which means, Taja means to uh, compare, and Panati is conceptual reality. So constantly comparing conceptual reality to the data that's coming in. We do not take a universal survey of everything that's in front of us and then construct a working model that's an accurate depiction of that. We actually have a hierarchy of things that interest us, a hierarchy of preferences, and the mind directs our attention to these objects that we prefer. We grab these little snapshots and then we string the snapshots together into this uh, experience of the solid self and world, the solid other people that we encounter. So depending on what your preferences are in a, in a particular environment, it might seem like a really rich environment or a sort of a poor environment. And based on those selections, you create this uh, conditioned or biased view of what's actually happening. Can you uh, understand that in real time as you're doing it, uh, why you have created the experience of the present moment in the way that you had, and how does that compare to what's actually happening so that you can author these intentions and actions that will be skillful and not create these uh, karmic traces, this uh, un unskillful negative, however you want to put it, bad karma as a result of actions that are not in line with what's actually happening. Is that making sense? So what we talk about it, uh, or at least the way that I like to talk about it is to understand the early conditioning and the kind of mentalizing that develops there, and then understand that uh, when you come out of that earliest period of childhood before autobiographical memory actually arises, that the, the procedures that you use to create uh, experience are, are being laid down and that they're largely unconscious. So you don't remember the conditioning that led you to come to the conclusions that you did or, or the lists of um, <clears throat> preferences. You just have uh, the uh, mapping of what those uh, mentalizing strategies are. So when we look at that using the, the um, Peter Fonicky and Anthony Bateman uh, model uh, that came out of the Tavistock Clinic in London, uh, four dimensions of mentalizing, spontaneous versus monitoring, self versus other, internal versus external, and cognitive versus effective. Um, insecure people, those models are working pretty well, and, and in insecure people, and disorganized people in a different way. We talked a little bit about dismissing people earlier, but what you notice is a, a, a pattern in dismissing people of being very monitoring, so not very spontaneous, but sort of uh, controlled and monitoring, um, a sense of self, but not so much the sense of other people, a sense of their interior experience, but not much comparison with what's in the world and actually happening. 
and they're very cognitively oriented and not emotionally oriented. The reason for that is that their main regulation strategy for their emotions is to suppress uh, emotion. So they don't really have emotional experience uh, embodied and sometimes not even consciously because uh, they suppress emotions as their primary means of regulating emotion. They also don't have empathy, uh, which is an emotional experience. So they don't really pick up a lot of information about other people. They're not focused on the external world uh, the way that a secure person might be. The secure person, of course, who has the capacity for empathy, or anyone really who has the capacity for empathy, can touch into the experience of someone else uh, and uh, understand what the, their internal states are like. So we talk about empathy in three levels. The first level is the visceral response to the witnessing of somebody else's physical or emotional pain. The second level is being able to read uh, facial expressions and body language, understand that it's representative of uh, internal states. And the third is the compassionate empathy where we actually feel in our body an emotional experience which maps onto the other persons. And then we compare the second and third level. Uh, if they match, we tend to believe them. And if they don't match, we tend to think that they're not telling us the truth. And then secure people have this fourth dimension, which is they compare what people say they're going to do with what they actually do, whereas insecure people tend to split that off and not uh, make that comparison. So uh, you see in the way that people mentalize this pattern that reflects the uh, early conditioning, which is this profound neglect for uh, dismissing adults, this rejection that they experience. They, they do without emotion because it's too painful to experience it. And they operate from a thinking place. So they're cold in that sense or uh, calculating. Preoccupied people, it's the opposite of that, really. They're very spontaneous, but they don't monitor anything. Uh, um, they get very meshed uh, with the experience of the others. They lose track of themselves. So they're other-focused and not self-focused. Uh, because they're reading the external presentation of other people to, to track what they're likely to do, they're very externally focused and not particularly internally focused. Um, uh, because they're so focused on the other, and they, they don't ever really develop a capacity of tracking their own thought processes, they're not cognitively oriented, but emotionally oriented. And then disorganized people can be all over the place. It depends on what the conditioning is for that. Some secure, some dismissing, some preoccupied. So when we talk about developing the capacity for mentalizing, particularly this early part of it is we're mapping onto the spontaneous versus monitoring and seeing if we can adjust them. You want to allow the whole experience to be, uh, the whole experience of body-mind to be completely spontaneous and at the same time monitor the whole thing. Don't want to get swept up into the spontaneous side, get lost in thinking and lose the monitoring, lose the meditation. But you don't want to get pulled so hard onto the monitoring side that you constrict or inhibit the spontaneous arising of experience. That's that balance. So uh, Dan Brown, one of my teachers might say, if you get swept up too much into the spontaneous side, you want to tighten down the mind. Uh, 
and if you get swept too hard into the monitoring side, so you shut down the spontaneous expression, you want to loosen it up. Then you want, uh, Christian? Kind of a big question, but um, so I don't want to derail too much, but I'm curious if you could talk about the sort of higher mentalization skills, because I remember, I don't have the Dan Brown book on me, but when I was reading about sort of higher stuff on the reflective functioning scale, started to get a little bit, started to sound a little abstract, which I don't think is a reflection of my inability to understand good mentalizing, but um, I'm kind of curious about what, what the like higher skills that not even all secure people would have are. And, and I also have this sense that with greater mentalizing, you kind of are coming into a greater awareness of the subjectivity of yourself and others. And I would think that that would bring more doubt into your decision-making, but it seems like it doesn't do that. It seems like it makes decision-making in some ways more clear. So it seems like this kind of, maybe, maybe I'm not, maybe I'm not presenting that idea how it really is, but that seems like it's kind of this tension. Well, I had actually planned on talking about that next week. Okay. Well, then I'll, um, I'll I can wait for the, for next week. <laughs> because I wanted to do the basics first. Sure. Uh, but in the in in Dan's book, he's talking about the Wil Ken Wilbur. Uh, Dan, uh, Dan Ken Wilbur and uh, let's see. Bonnegie. Uh, no. Uh, uh, Angler wrote a book uh, on the uh, perspectives of consciousness uh, in the 70s. I think that was quite influential. And the list that you're referring to is from there. Uh, so they have the, the basic, you have the middle, and then you have the advanced. Um, the, the main thing about the, that, that particular perspective is that it's tied to the development of spiritual insight, particularly in the advanced ones, uh, uh, and very liberation oriented in, in, a, in a, a Buddhist way. Of course, there's lots of these uh, different kinds of mentalizing uh, maps. Uh, and so uh, next week, I'll, I'll have organized that more and be able to talk about it. But the basic um, uh, basic level of mentalizing on that one is uh, that you you're aware that uh, you have a mind state and you're aware that other people have a mind state and that they're different. But that's not this piece of the early pre-conscious pre-autobiographical memory. Uh, mentalizing development, it, it actually stacks on top of that. Once you move out of the, the, uh, the, that period of life where there is no autobiographical memory, but you're still learning into the period of life where there is autobiographical memory, then the, the dimensions that you're talking about begin. And the first one is uh, that you have a mind state and other people have a mind state and they're different. The second one is that you have a mind state 
that is responsive to other people's mind states and other people's mind states are responsive to you. That's the mindfulness of inside mindfulness of outside mindfulness of inside and outside. Uh, then you have an understanding that you actually can regulate your mind state through thinking processes. Uh, the next one is that you have an agenda which is different than other people and other people have an agenda and that you need to actually uh, negotiate agendas. When you're co comparing that to childhood, what you're really looking at is um, sort of five, six, that area, when the, the brain is developed enough that you can begin to recognize that maybe a little earlier. But let's say uh, it's time for dinner and, and, and your caregiver has to make dinner but you want to do something else, but you see that if you don't agree to allow that agenda un to unfold, that there'll be no dinner. And so you negotiate how you're going to sit in the high chair and you're going to play with something while dinner is made and not be too fussy about it. That's the kind of thing that happens. Um, and eventually you get to meaning making. How do you, how do you understand some of the things that you're doing that have more meaning than other things that you're doing and can you begin to focus on on the things that are more meaningful but we'll we'll talk more about that uh next week i still want to uh talk about the earliest uh mentalizing piece because everything sits on top of that right and if you don't have that well-developed, then none of the other things are going to work as well. For instance, if you have no capacity for empathy because you suppress your emotions and you're, you work only from these internal models that you create for yourself, which you don't actually verify in any way, it's going to be very difficult for you to uh, accept that other people's mindsets have an effect on you or that other people have an agenda that you should be willing to negotiate with uh, you'll just insist that your own agenda is the one that that's uh, what uh, should happen, which is a kind of dismissing argument. If you can't really understand how to make meaning out of things because you don't explore very well, which is the preoccupied dilemma, and that's based on the the failure to be able to mentalize your own experience in comparison to somebody else's, you also won't be able to do that even though it will look differently. So in order to move up the ladder of, of mentalizing into the, the, the higher levels, you do have to get the, the basics down. So that's why um, there's an emphasis on that. The Really, I'm talking about the, the mentalizing capacity of up to a three-year-old, right, or a four-year-old. When did your first autobiographical memories show up in your database. Um, I am going to guess that I was three years old. I have a, a, a memory, um, but it's not a continuous stream of mem memories at that point. It's just a single one. Um, and then uh, I remember, for instance, uh, one of the reasons I know that is I, I, um, my family moved um, uh, to a new house when I was uh, five. 
And um, my mother had started me in first grade, uh, in kindergarten in when I was four. But when we went to the new school and I saw the kindergarten class and I and I was going to my first grade class, I asked my mother why I, I wasn't, she didn't send me to kindergarten. And she said that she had sent me to kindergarten, I just didn't remember it. And I really have a very little in the way of memory of my kindergarten experience or even my first grade experience, some memories of first grade. So second grade would mean that you're seven or eight, except that I was sent early, so I was uh, six and seven. So you can you can mentalize that if you examine what your experience was. So what we're attempting to do really in the practice of meditation is to develop these basic skills. If you use a basic Vipassana technique, the, the dimension that you're uh, immediately um, working with is the spontaneous versus monitoring. Uh, most of us at the beginning of meditation get swept up into the spontaneous side and lose the monitoring. Um, some people uh, can concentrate pretty well. Maybe they've had some kind of training throughout life. Uh, sports are pretty good for that or some kind of yoga that allows you to concentrate and then the mind is held too tightly and and not a lot of uh, activations happen so we want to get that balance going uh, you the so that's the first thing you process when you uh, use vipassana of course it's dividing everything up so v means to uh, divide and positive means to see clearly you see clearly the nature of the human condition by dividing sensory experience up into its basic components. Um, you, you practice this uh, spontaneous versus monitoring, and then you begin to divide up sensory experience into each of the sense gates to, to see those arisings clearly, uh, pulling them apart and seeing them come back together, pulling them apart, seeing them come back together. Uh, so the first one in the, that's easy to begin to pull apart is the cognitive part or the thinking part from the actual embodied feeling of emotion in the body, uh, one dimension. Then you can begin to focus on self and other and internal and external. Uh, internal and external is a little bit easier. Uh, this is the internal experience of uh, auditory thinking, visual thinking, and the emotional content in the body, and that's the external experience, the external sight space, external sound space, and how the body interacts with the world, which would include taste and smell. And then how does the internal experience form the sense of self, and how does the external experience form the experience of other people? So rather than focusing on individual sense gates, you focus on uh, groups of sense gates to, to develop that aspect of mentalizing. Is that all making sense and conceptually? So what I like to do is use a see here feel technique or Shinzen's uh, basic technique and in different patterns use it to explore uh, and develop these capacities for insight. So you're doing a noting and labeling process allowing uh, everything to arise spontaneously but continuously monitoring, which is the first one. 
and dividing uh, see here feel up into basic uh, internal and external so focus in focus out that develops the dimension of internal and external in the individual sense gates then you can focus on uh, the pattern of uh, internal visual thinking and internal auditory thinking as cognitive and then the emotion in the body as uh, affective experience develop that level of mentalizing and then the the entire combination of focus in as the self-experience and focus out as the experience of other people so you're you're punching all of the different uh, dimensions of mentalizing using uh, uh, variations on a, on a fairly simple vipassana technique to track that so I thought what we would do this evening is go through that uh, process and uh, see if you can have a sense of what that's like. Any questions before we begin? Christian? Is there a chance that in this kind of practice you can miscategorize consistently and get sort of overconfident even though you're categorizing something wrong. And so you're actually, you think you're building a mentalization, but you're actually building up some kind of delusion. What are you doing? <laughs> I, I'm, I don't think that that's happening for me, but I, I just sometimes, I guess I just sometimes wonder if like, am I really getting it right? Or, or, I mean, it, seems like you've you've kind of mentioned that the important part is the labeling and you don't have to worry so much about being right um well you want to be uh when you're developing the aspect of uh spontaneity versus monitoring you want to be continuously monitoring it doesn't matter so much whether you get it perfectly right uh if you don't have good enough sensory clarity you won't be able to tell but if you do the technique and you're continuously monitoring you will begin to develop more and more insight into the categorization that you're doing and in that process correct if you've made a mistake along the way yeah this, so this question is probably just a big part of me wanting to poke holes in in anything that i'm doing so um, yes that's a little bit of devil's advocate which i've never done before i know um so uh Shinzen calls it the three C's, uh, concentration, clarity, uh, oh, C, C, and E, concentration, clarity, and equanimity. In order to resolve these things, um, you have to be able to go uh, deep enough into sensory clarity to see clearly what's happening, but you don't have to go so far that you see uh, minutia that would not lend an additional understanding. So. Um, as it's described in the Satipatthana Sutta, um, bear awareness with enough clarity that you actually see what's going on. There is also the understanding that uh, you can infer insight based on um, a complete experience of something. You have a complete experience of something, you can infer that insight to all patterns of experience that are like that. You don't have to catch everything. In other words, you have to catch it enough uh, so that you can see clearly what's happening, and then you can infer it 
uh, so that you don't have to keep catching the same thing. So you can explore deeply in something, understand it well, and then infer that it applies across other experience as you move in to explore other experiences. So, so, so this process of Vipassana is going deeply in these narrow focuses uh, and then covering enough uh, of the range of experience with these deep uh, focuses individually so that then you can see how they come together to form the sense of self and world without having to, in each moment, map all of them, which wouldn't really be possible. Um, so, uh, ready to meditate? So go ahead and settle in to your meditation posture. So any comments or questions about what we did? Good enough. So thank you for coming. I offer the teaching on a Donna basis. Donna is the Pali word for generosity. So um, I offer the teachings freely, but then I uh, hope that you'll make a donation to us. There's a link to do so on the website. Any amount is helpful. Saturday, we're doing an I Love You Keep Going day long on collaborative relationship systems. You could come uh, as a couple or as a uh, single person. You come as a couple, you can work with your partner uh, during the day long. If you come with a single, as a single person, we'll uh, partner you up with somebody. Um, on April 7th, we're starting a level two of the meditation and attachment uh, stuff. At the end of April, we'll be starting a level one. Uh, we have a virtual retreat happening uh, in April. Uh, so eight day virtual retreat, I think it is. What else is happening? Um, uh, I think that's, that's pretty much it for the rest of the first half of the year. So it's all up on the website, take a look. Uh, thank, thank you for coming and I hope to see you soon on the path. Bye now. <laughs>